Now let's get into the nitty gritty of like how these billionaires buy stuff. So what did Elon do? Elon did not sell Tesla shares and got cash and buy Twitter. Why didn't he do that? Because that is probably what 99% of the world would do. Welcome to the Action Academy Podcast. Stand back while I celebrate freedom. The show where we help you achieve financial independence with the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps from guests who've already earned their freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Choose to do what you want. What you want. With who you want. With who you want. When you want. When you want. With another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. Welcome back, Action Academy family. This is your host, as always, Brian Lubin, bringing you the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps from guests who have earned their freedoms that you can earn freedom in your life and business today. If you're new here, we do four episodes per week, two solo shows where I share quotes, stories, ideas that I get on the fly, about five minutes to 10 minutes per episode, and then two interviews, long format, and this is one of the two. Today's guest is the Cashflow Ninja, MC Lobsher. MC is a serial entrepreneur with a wildly popular podcast, The Cashflow Ninja, an online community at cashflowninja.com. They talk all things cash flow and wealth building, and this guy has got some names on his roster. This dude is interviewing Robert Kiyosaki, Grant Cardone, 100 millionaires, billionaires. This guy is all over the place, and he is a super successful entrepreneur himself, and he is dabbling in these worlds that normal people just aren't living in. And today, he brings all of that information down to earth to you and me. So we kick off the interview talking about how the wildly successful and uber rich are borrowing against their own assets, how they use money, how they create their own banks, essentially, how Elon Musk actually produces the $44 billion to buy Twitter, how that process works, and how these billionaires just do this. And we can take all these concepts and apply them to ourselves in our own wealth building journey. So it is an insanely cool episode, and I actually don't talk too, too much in this one, so y'all may be in for a treat there, <laughs> but I'm just taking notes the entire show. So this may be one that you have to rewind, pause, and listen to again, because it is just chock full. He just goes nonstop, and I don't stop him. I just let him go, and it is a wild ride. So buckle up and enjoy. I will have a recap in the top tips and strategies in text taken away from this show in the newsletter that's going out Thursday. Every Thursday, we're going to have the Action Academy newsletter with exclusive content, tips, and strategies that we talk about on mic and off mic. So you're going to get a little bit extra there. Go subscribe, get the free net worth tracker, free ebook on how I left my W-2, and also a book list of the top 52 books that are recommended to me from this show. So all of that for free. Subscribe there. Please leave us a rating and a review if you're part of the Action Academy family here and you're enjoying the content of listening to a multiple episodes that would be greatly appreciated. And without any further ado, MC Lobster. MC, welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. Welcome. Question for you off the top. Talk to me about $20 million. Why is $20 million important? Most of your listeners have probably heard of a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, best-selling book, finance book, personal finance book of all time, still continues to sell. He also developed a game, a board game called cash flow. And essentially what most people don't know either is that he created the board game first and then he wrote the book and it was, well, Rich Dad, Poor Dad was essentially like a pamphlet or a little booklet that would sell the board game and just teach how the board game works. The concepts taught in the board game, essentially. Explain how this game works. And you've interviewed Robert too, right? Yeah. Yes. This guy's talked to him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's great. And he, um, in, on the, in the board game, which is phenomenal. If anybody wants to literally get smarter and more financially savvy every single day, just, just play cash flow. Most people love to play games to begin with. And if you're just getting started out, play cash flow because eventually you'll play it in real life when then it becomes really fun. But start with the board game first. It's like the Monopoly game. You know, it's a lot of fun, but at some stage you got to go play it in real life too. 
But essentially, your question is, why is $20 million so important? One of the things that's interesting about that board game is there's the the rat race. And most of us know what the rat race is all about. It Mm -hmm. sucks. It's go and work. You're on this just this treadmill essentially that never stops. And hopefully in 30 to 40 years, you'll have enough crumbs saved up in a diversified portfolio of stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. And then eventually, hopefully, somebody else knew more than you did about your money, like a financial advisor, and there'll be a mountain of money for you and you'll get to retire. And like all the retirement ads, sit in separate tubs, looking at the ocean with your significant other, or maybe there was a different- Papa Viagra. Viagra. Yeah, yeah. But most people are there. And then in the game, there's a a track called the fast track, essentially. And that's when you're out of the rat rights. Now you're doing bigger deals with just incredible people. And now you're playing the game at at a very high level. The one thing that the, the essentially- the only one tweak that I would make to that game is there's an in-between phase, essentially, especially when it comes to net worth. And this is just from my experience that once you get to from zero to $20 million in net worth, the most financial advice that people get in, in that bracket too, by the way, that's one of the most underserved sectors and, and, and people when it comes to financial advice. You know, most folks just have a financial advisor that they give money to, essentially. But once you get to a thir- certain threshold and of just looking into this over the past two decades, you look at 20 million, all of a sudden it's a game changer. So the in-betweener phase is like, yeah, you could get out of the rat race and let's just say your net worth around that, that when you do that is maybe around 5 million bucks, let's just say, or even less than that. But now you still have to build to get to that 20 because when you get to 20, now the game completely changes. Now people are basically falling over themselves and over other people to hand you money. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of advanced strategies which you then can tap into when you get to a certain net worth level. And that is usually if you just scan the environment and from my experience over the two decades, that's the number. You hit that, it's a complete game changer. And now you are on that fast track, doing incredible deals, not having an issue finding financing or money or anything at that point, because people at that stage are chasing you. In the beginning of the rat race, nobody's chasing you. You're just the rat on the treadmill, essentially. Yep. Then you get out of it, and all of a sudden, you're chasing folks to still do deals and get access to capital and grow your net worth. But once you get there, the script is flipped, and now you become the hunted. The hunter has become the hunted from fin- financial institutions and folks that specialize in much more higher level strategies. So it's a, it's a good place to be. <laughs> I, lo- I love it. And Everyone, we will give you the tools to get to 20 million if you leave us a rating and a review, five stars on the Action Academy podcast and Cash Flow Ninja podcast. So, anyways, people, we are coming out the gate. We're coming out the gate with pure knowledge. MC, we will get into his background, but this is his game. He plays with money and he plays with high level strategies every single day, every single night, and dances with some really high net worth, high level people. On that note, I want to take you down another rabbit hole with your fellow South African brother, the first African-American to own Twitter, Elon Musk. Let's talk about this acquisition because it's timely right now. And I want to really talk about this acquisition and how does that work? Because that is infinitely, pun intended, interesting to me. And it is something that a lot of us don't really understand at the ground floor, 44 billion thrown around, that's too big of a number to comprehend. Walk us through the process from Elon being like, hey, I like tweeting, ha funny, LOL, to, okay, I'm going to dish out 44 billion because that's not in cash. Walk us yeah. through this. There's a, so there's a lot to learn from Elon Musk. And obviously, Uh, A lot of folks are are chasing a lot of different rabbit holes and completely missing probably some of the most powerful lessons that you can learn right now. So what's the first lesson from Elon Musk's uh, acquisition of, of Twitter? And it's still in process, but what can we learn besides all of the things that you're seeing all over the internet and social media and so forth? 
So the first lesson from that for me, what I looked at is how brilliant this guy and his public relations team is in executing and implementing a strategy called newsjacking. And it's a yep. news hijacking tactic and, and, and that, that was implemented. Just think about this for a second, right? We are in an attention economy, essentially, all over the world. Everybody's fighting for our eyeballs and our attention. And since 2020, we had COVID. And then when COVID sort of slowed down after the one variant to the other variant, all of a sudden, there's like World War III is now breaking out. There's the war between Russia and the Ukraine. So the fear factory, the news media, as I call them, because they essentially are peddling fear and panic to people. Mm -hmm. They have everybody's eyeballs right now and attention. And then here comes Mr. Musk, Elon Musk, and buys Twitter. And because of his media strategy, this is all that people are talking about. I'm like, literally, between COVID and World War III, and people are only talking about Elon Musk. That is the first lesson. That is brilliant. That is absolutely brilliant. Regardless of what you think, again, of of a person, you can learn anything from anyone and study them and and pick up things. There's things that you can learn from his media strategy and what he has been able to do that's quite brilliant. That's the first thing that I would that I would say by that. By the way, you would have to go back. There's only one other person that's basically in his league when it comes to news newsjacking, and that was Donald J. Trump before he started running for president. And mm-hmm. this was before social media. And this was before any of this internet stuff. Donald Trump used to buy, this is how far it goes back, buy one-page advertisements in the New York Times, and then basically of course, troll local politicians, troll national politicians. And, you know, there was a lot going on in New York City at that time in the world, but he was the only person that everybody was talking about because he found a way to, to hijack the news and insert himself in the news and leverage the news. And that that was before an attention economy. So that's why Elon Musk just took this to another level. So that's the first lesson that you can learn from that. The second lesson that I think is huge here before we get into the acquisition strategy, what Elon did essentially, and this is very important for any business owner and for any entrepreneur that's out there, inspiring entrepreneur. So most people look at what, what other people are doing with money and their money. I, I do that too. I, I look at the big players. What do the big players do? So what does Elon do? He puts his money and invests it, number one, in himself and in his companies, his Mm -hmm. companies, his show. Elon does not have a 401k or an IRA and a diversified portfolio of stocks, bonds, and mutual funds or an index fund. Elon Musk is investing in Elon Musk's and his dreams. So Elon's money is in Tesla. Before that, if you go back, it was in PayPal. Then he had a huge exit of of, of PayPal, and then he moved the the capital that he acquired from that exit. He moved it into Tesla. He moved it into SpaceX. He moved it into Neuralink and this boring company that he has. All of his dreams, all mm-hmm. of the stuff that he's working on, not someone else's dreams, his stuff. So now he has control, and and that's a lot of questions that folks ask me, especially when they're getting started. What do I do? Where do I start? Invest in yourself. Invest in your relationships, your network, and invest in your own dreams and focus. And there will be a point where you diversify. And if you're playing at the league that Elon Musk is, that's essentially what he did with Tesla and with Twitter. So Tesla is obviously publicly traded company in a very explosive growth area, which is electric vehicles. But Elon is not a Muppet as we would say in South Africa. He's not an idiot. He understands that there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of disruption coming on. There's a one manufactured crisis to the next. So what Mm -hmm. does Elon do? He goes, I do need some diversification. I'm all in on the EV, electrical vehicles. I'm into space, which is pretty cool. And then I'm into Neuralink, which that's an industry with some legs. And then a boring company, but I need diversification. So mm-hmm. instead of handing his money again over to someone else, investing it in someone else's dream, what does Elon do? He doesn't go and buy Apple stock. 
No, he buys another company that is not correlated with all the other industries that he's in. And by the way, he's taking that company private, which means it's not going to be as volatile where people can, if you're a publicly traded company, just watch the show, Billions. A lot of the stuff that happens there, it happens in real life that hedge funds, they they would try and destroy you and they can with the media and, and so forth. There's so many examples. Just look at, there's a gentleman called Bill Ackman on Wall Street. Look at what that guy does. That's all he does, essentially, is look at, for any weakness, target a company and try to take them down. So Elon's taking that that away. So now it's private and now he's diversified. Now let's get into the nitty gritty of like how these billionaires buy stuff. So what did Elon do? Elon did not sell Tesla shares and got cash and buy Twitter. Why didn't he do that? Because that is probably what 99% of the world would do. They have some, event. That's a t- number one, a taxable event right there. And so what billionaires do, and this is a different, another level of wealth creation, is they collateralize assets. They, they build assets within their own wealth and their own portfolio. And they position capital specifically. It's very intentionally. This is not by any accident. They position assets so that they can leverage it. So what Elon did is he, the the biggest part of the purchase, he financed through putting his Tesla shares as collateral, okay? And then borrowing against his share, they call it ABL in the industry, asset-based lending, asset-based loan. And then he took, and, and because he's Elon Musk and high net worth folks at that stage is probably around a percent, or he's probably getting less than a percent on that, essentially free money, tax-free, which he then took and then bought Twitter with it. And where does he come up with the rest of the financing? Because now he can negotiate with, you know, I believe it was Morgan Stanley that was in the race and three or four other people fighting for it because he can go now to people and say, listen, I put up the bulk of the cash here. Who wants to finance the rest of it? Mm -hmm. And everybody's fighting over each other, just like I said in the beginning, (laughs) when you hit that number, now they're scrambling and fighting over each other to do business with Elon and do this deal with them and finance the rest for him. So if you essentially look at what he's done as an entrepreneur and a business owner, he invests in his dream, Elon's dreams, his stuff. But he diversified then to leverage what he's got, like his Tesla shares, putting it up as collateral, and then essentially acquiring another company, which he then took private from public. So it cannot be finagled with in financial markets and all these other haters can go after him. So he protects that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And now essentially, and he got the rest of the financing, probably at very low rates from an outside source. Again, people fighting each other to do the deal with them. So it's a genius deal. And that's why when the the big part of business and investing is the art of the deal, there is an art and a science to doing deals where the majority of folks just, you know, have cash and buy stuff and that's it. And that's cool. This is like another level of how do I, there's an art to this. There's Mm -hmm. an art form of, taking one asset and, and acquiring another asset with that. Woo, man. Okay. So <laughs> this did, we all, we're all drinking some water here. Everyone's in the car. You haven't even touched your coffee. You haven't even touched your coffee because you're so fired up off of all these ideas and concepts that aren't accessible to normal people that we're so buzzed up tangent just completely accomplished what I wanted it to where this is so interesting to me and so interesting. I know it's going to be interesting to this audience as well. So now we understand that it's possible. We understand the concept is out there. We see the mechanisms that people are utilizing to be able to do big shit here. Let's bring it back a bit and let's talk about that sweet spot between that person that's on the in the rat race and then they're trying to use these concepts because now they're aware that they exist let's work it backwards now down to us mere mortals and how we can get up to that level because now as inflation is going on as everything is going on being a millionaire isn't going to be sexy anymore especially in 10 years we're chasing that 20 and i don't need any of you to be intimidated by that 
it's very possible and it's very doable. And these people on the show are going to tell us how. So let's walk it back a little bit and walk back to that person that's in the rat race. And then how do we utilize these concepts and leverage to be able to use our own advantage here? Yeah. And this is the advice that I wish I got. (laughs) I just got started too. That's why we have a podcast. Exactly. Essentially, after studying the players in this game of capital and wall for 20 years, and I've interviewed some of the best minds in business and, and just investing over for the past six years of my in my pod, my podcast uh, at Cashflow Ninja, what I came across is there's a framework, and I love frameworks because um, frameworks can be used. It's like this blueprint, right? So essentially, there's a framework. So what does the framework look like of the best players in this game of capital and wealth? And just to take a step back, you're in a game. We're all in a game. That this is a game. Literally, there's rules. The rule ba- rule book is the tax code. So you want to play by the rules of the game to play at the highest level in the game. And that's how you uh, build the, your, the life of your dreams. So in this game of capital and wealth, all of us start with making money, capital creation, cash creation. We all have to make money somehow. So we either do it as entrepreneurs and business owners. We do it in the capacity of, of an employee, a W-2. And by the way, that's where I started too. So this is mm-hmm. good. We all have we all have to make money in some way, shape, or form. And there's folks that are absolutely crushing it. By, by the way, side side note, that loved what they did as an employee, but after they obtained freedom and levels of wealth, they can now do two days a week or three days a week the things that they love to do. There was, mm-hmm. for example, a surgeon that I interviewed that he loves. What he he loves that that craft and he's craft he loves it that that was what he was born to do but he's financially free he's crushing it and moving up in levels of wealth and now he's working two to three days a week still doing those surgeries not because he has to because he loves it so anyway so you make you you have to create capital first cash creation the second step is capital positioning and I call it cash capture too there's a way then. You make money and you have to put it somewhere. You have to put it somewhere. And then after you put it somewhere, you deploy it into things that generate more income for you, cash flow, or they could yep. be growth things like Bitcoin is, for example, just an, an example of that. And then the final step is you got to protect all of this because it's no use to like creating and producing, positioning capital and deploying it and building great things. And now- You've got predators and creditors coming in, and they're trying to take it from you. So you have to predict. What did you? Who's your biggest predator out there? It's the IRS. The IRS, yeah. It's your tax man. So you have to have a proper tax strategy, and with great people with taxes on your team, you have to have good asset protection in place and great estate planning to eventually just build a family legacy. And that, if that's what motivates you. So to bring it like to, to a smaller level, and I always say to folks, don't do not be intimidated by this. You do not have to be the Rockefellers to do what the Rockefellers do. You could do it. You could look at this framework, and you can essentially structure the same kind of framework within your own life, and you'll see massive changes. And some of these strategies that I'm going to share with you now, you could do the same thing. And and when I uh, share them with you, you're going to be like, yeah, I could totally do that. So a lot of folks with producing capital and cash creation, they're building that, they're scaling, they're growing. The biggest challenge, or and maybe even they find investments that can cash flow and they do all that stuff properly and that's good. And maybe growth, maybe you invested in crypto early, great for you. And maybe they even know how to protect it and they have people helping them to do that. But the biggest thing that'll put some juice and rocket fuel on what you're doing, this ties into the Elon Musk uh, example, is capital positioning and being intentional of where you put your capital. Where's the best place to put capital for a business owner or an entrepreneur? Again, stick into the the example of your dreams. Where can I access it to grow my business? Where can I access it to build my investment portfolio? So there's a couple of things that folks can do, capital positioning. And this is, if you're listening to this, you've probably heard of this and you're probably doing this already. You just haven't thought of it within this framework. So uh, business owners, right? Most business owners understand business lines of credit and business loans. So we had someone in our network 
He's a business owner and he was crushing it, but he wanted to buy the building from which his business operates. So he can go to the bank. He could put his receivables or the assets of the business up for collateral, which is just what the banks need to lend you money. By doing that, he was able to get a business loan. He bought the property from which the business was operating. And mm-hmm. now he owns a business and he has the property. And by the way, there was other there are other tenants in there too, paying rent. And now his company and all the other companies are paying rent as tenants to this building, which he now owns. And now he has the real estate and he has the business. So you, you did what Elon did there. You used your business to acquire another asset without selling the business. Real estate folks know this, by the way. You know, mm-hmm. if you think, if you want to bring it to real estate, the cash out refi or the HELOC strategy, home equity line of credit, this is the exact same collateralization strategy. You get to tap into the equity of the home without selling the home. So cash out refi or HELOC essentially is, is, a, is a way to do it. Now you can roll the loan that you got from the credit or the credit line, the proceeds of it, you roll it into the next property. And you can and do that 1031. Over. And then you can also do a 1031. If you, you could also do a 1031. But if you want to grow and, and not even sell that property, just hold, use one property to acquire another property. There's another great strategy, which in, we touched on the stocks one, right? So Elon, there's a lot of folks that know about ABLs, which is the asset-based lending, asset-based loans, which is essentially you can place a stock portfolio and borrow against it to go and buy real estate, for example. That's how you can diversify. Um, And then gold and silver, gold and silver and art. There are banking and financial institutions and even custodians, which will give you a loan up to 50% of your gold and silver uh, holdings and your art that you can then go out and buy another hard asset that maybe pays you. If you have gold and silver, which is great, I understand why you have it, but now you could leverage that, go buy real estate, now you have another hard asset that pays you. So you use two hard assets, gold and silver, leverage that, now you buy another hard asset and the other one pays you, even better. You could do it with crypto. Crypto, by the way, breaking news story yesterday, just came out at 5 p.m. and so forth, that there was a huge deal done between Goldman Sachs and between Coinbase. And Coinbase is like a crypto exchange. Now, most people that doesn't listen, they don't listen to the show, this is just going to go over their head when they see this in the news. But essentially, what that deal is, Goldman said to Coinbase, because Coinbase is publicly traded, they went public, but they needed cash for expansion and they needed liquidity too, because crypto exchanges can become very illiquid uncertain times and downturns. So they were trying to get ahead of it. What if there's a massive sell-off in crypto? They need liquidity as an exchange because otherwise you could be in trouble. So Goldman Sachs said to them, that's cool. Give us the Bitcoins as collateral and we'll give you you a a loan secured by the Bitcoin. So they did a collateralized loan with their crypto. And by the way, for the little guy, us, regular folks, there are central lending platforms that do the same thing. They will um, allow you to place Bitcoin or Ethereum as collateral, and you can borrow up to 50% uh, into that and then buy real estate with it. Just like with, um, just like with stocks, crypto stocks can be very volatile. There's huge pullbacks. So again, these are higher level strategies. You have to understand, for example, what a margin call is, right? Mm-hmm. When the market, let's just say Bitcoin is at 60,000 and you take a lot of at 50% and now all of a sudden Bitcoin falls to 38,000, which this is a great example because this happened, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then folks that at that stage had a collateralized loan, you got a margin call from the, your lender and said, hey, buddy, we need to fix this loan. You're out of whack. We gave you a 50% LTV and now it's not 50% anymore. So you now have to fix it. So how do you fix it? You have to buy more Bitcoin, add the collateral, or they in the contract can sell off some of that. So you have to understand, again, this is high level strategies. You always say, kids, don't try this at home when you're doing, we're doing some tricks on, on, with some cars and motorbikes and skateboards. But um, <laughs> in all serious now, seriousness now, you do need to understand all the risk, understand how it works, what the strategy is, what the downside is, how to protect that. That's just a part of, of, of being an investor. Most of, the are, people, most of the people are probably leveraging off of 
their real estate too. Like I, I, I see the stock in, in the crypto, but I don't think that would probably be your first case unless you've got seven figures worth of crypto, I can understand. But that's probably not going to be the first place you look. It's probably going to be that real estate, which is a much more stable asset. And you're not going to have that same problem. I'm going to get to the life insurance one. If you oh, look at no, life insurance, God, let's go. The life insurance is the is the other one that I'll also throw in there. There's my favorite one to talk about. The other ones are great cocktail party conversation, by the way. You talk about to someone that you could leverage gold and silver in that way and art, you've got their attention. You talk about cryptocurrencies right now that you can do that. You have their attention. But one of the best ones is the life insurance strategy. So this is not your mom and dad's life insurance. Uh, this is not the Dave Ramsey life insurance. By the way, I agree with Dave Ramsey on 99% of an, on everything that he says about the way that life insurance is sold to the general public. It's terrible. But the one thing he doesn't tell you, there's always three sides of the coin, heads, tails, and the edge. And then in the 1% that he doesn't tell you is he doesn't mention that you should probably look into how banks, corporations, family offices, and very wealthy individuals buy life insurance. It's a completely different ballgame. And that's what I'm talking about. So essentially, when you buy life insurance, like the rich, you can buy a life insurance policy where, and it's, it has to be structured a very specific way, but it's essentially a savings vehicle. Most people think of life insurance and they go, well, that kind of sucks because somebody has to die in order for someone else to benefit. That's mm -hmm. not the life insurance that I'm talking about. So this is a, a very specifically structured life insurance policy where the majority of the, the, your premiums goes towards cash. It's a savings vehicle. And what I love about that is the money that you're putting in there, and I've been doing this for over a decade, this strategy that I'm talking about. So when the money that you're putting in there, the principal is guaranteed, the growth is guaranteed. Dividends, which if you structure it with a mutual, which is how you should structure it with a mutual insurance company, some of them have been around since the mid-1800s, and they pay dividends every single year since they were established. The one carrier was established in 1847. It's pre-Civil War stuff in the US. Mm -hmm. So they pay dividends. These are all tax-free, by the way, once it's in the policy. This is why the rich love this, and corporations love it in the bank. So the growth... And the dividends are tax-free in the policy. You will never pay taxes on that money again through certain strategies. Then you get to, again, collateralize the cash value that's in there up to 90 and 95% in some instances. What? Compare that to crypto that's 50 and gold and silver is like 50. And even in a stock portfolio, you're going to be around about that, those same ratios, around 50%. But compare it to those asset classes, so 90 to 95%. And there's no moving pieces. So you mentioned real estate. So compare that to real estate, right? Your equity is in your house is not guaranteed. Your equity, if it's growing, is not tax-free unless you 1035 it until you eventually keel over. And it doesn't have, for example, a death benefit at a multiple, which will pay out a multiple to your beneficiaries. And also the money is completely tax-free in there. This for entrepreneurs and business owners will allow them to set up a quote unquote private pension on the back end of their life as a plan B. So for example, a lot of these folks, and this is what the wealthiest families and individuals do, they have a plan B. Most people are just being sold because they watch media um, and, and TV. All they're being sold is stocks, bonds, and mutual funds and indexing, and that's it. Mm -hmm. Maybe buy a house. Or maybe buy a second house. And I know Airbnb was cool for a while and, and maybe made it in it there. It's still a very powerful strategy. We talk about it and we love that. But that's about it. That's all they've got. There's yeah. no plan B. So if you have another 2008, 2009 crisis, what does that look like? Your equity will be wiped out of your house and your second property. And your stock market portfolio will be down 40 to 50% like it was like it was the last time. The, the cash that's in that life insurance policy that's growing at around 4% tax-free, by the way, so you have to get 8 to 9% pre-tax, is guaranteed. So in a crisis, nothing happens to that. So that's why where do people get cash in a times of crisis? A lot of the wealthy individuals and families have them in these life insurance policies. So it's a 
very powerful strategy. And you can essentially set up your own banking system in this framework that I shared with everyone with proper capital positioning in there, having your money work in many different places simultaneously. But here's the thing you also mentioned inflation, which is crazy. It's going to crush most people mm-hmm. unless there's a big wild card and a very deflationary event. But for the most part, if you look at it, inflation's crazy. So how they're telling you it's eight to nine percent, right? Oh, but it's John Williams more. from Shadow Stats calculates it between 16 and 17 percent, and he calculates it the way that it was calculated before the shenanigans started. You could torture data until it confesses. Um, and it usually does. And then the government gave their employees, their staffers and lawyers in D.C., they gave them a 21% rights. So it's more 20 to 21% than the eight or nine that they're telling that they're telling people. Woo. So when you are trying to survive and build and also prosper, you got to play the game better. You got to have your money work in different places simultaneously and effectively. And again, if it does it tax-free, it's even better because most folks don't have a strategy. They just keep doing what they've been doing. So even though they're making more money, they pay more in tax, they get bumped into another tax bracket. The, yeah. the wealthiest folks on this planet do not pay taxes legally, okay, because they have a strategy. So the folks that are getting hosed are the middle class and, of course, the folks at the bottom economic rung. So you can set up a banking system. You could be more efficient. You could be more effective by intentionally positioning where your money is going to put it there um, to eventually access it. Even if you don't use it, this is what wealthy people are doing right now, is they are making sure that they have proper asset allocation and capital positioning, and they're getting credit lines to get everything. Because they know mm. when their blood's in the streets, they they've already buy. got it set up. When nobody, else, when everybody else is then scrambling to call their banker or their financial professional or their stockbroker to get credit lines established, at that stage, it's going to be cut off when there is blood in the streets. And all of these folks are going to be ready to feast because everybody lo- loves a sale. Look at how people are still fighting each other over TVs on Black Friday. Woo. Oh my gosh. So let's a couple of clarifying questions on the, the banking system and the, in the setups and everything. So first, first question, 4%, is that taken into account management fees or is that post? I know if you do a regular mutual fund, maybe 7%, 9%, and then you take out like 2% of fees. Is there yep. any fees associated with that? Yeah. So that's the fees and like all the fees included. And yeah, there's fees associated with everyone, with anything that you do. I always say to folks, when you have certain equities, there's a fee. And there's even in ETFs and all that kind of stuff. With Mm -hmm. certain real estate syndications, there are fees and property management fees. With gold and silver, there's storage fees. I look at that as it's a value add to me because I've got guys with big guns guarding gold and silver. So I don't have to have it in my house and be freaked out every time that I'm going to get robbed. So there's a value to that. So when things are of value, think of it as that's a, a value add to it. But yeah, that, that includes that. And the big game here is, and this is this, we could really get into the weeds on that one, but essentially a very powerful concept which folks should research is arbitrage of taking money from one area and allocating a different one. And obviously, there's a cost of capital from where you're getting it from, but where you're investing it, you're getting a much bigger return. So I'll share with you an example on the life insurance stuff. So on life insurance loans right now, it's 4%. You could get it lower when you go through financial institutions and bank. But let's just for the sake of this example, you're accessing a loan, a policy loan, using your cash value as collateral. And let's just say it's 4%. And let's just say there's $100,000 that you can pull from that. So $100,000 you can pull at 4%. So that's where you're getting it. And that's the cost of your capital, which is a very important concept also to understand. It'll make you a better business owner, a better investor to understand that there's a cost of capital. There's always a cost of capital. Whether your money is in your mattress, it's in your backyard in a tin can where you're hiding it in the bank, there's a cost of capital. So now it's 4%. And let's just say I'm throwing it in a stable coin, earning me 8.5%, just to keep this 
very simple. So I've taken money at 4% and I'm putting it in a stable coin and I'm earning 8.5% on that. So obviously my spread on that is 4.5%. And this is just through capital allocation. You could be doing this inside of your capital positioning where you're essentially making your 4.5% or your 4,500 bucks uh, that you're pocketing there. And the Um, downside is mitigated. Yeah, because the USDC, let's just say a stable coin, uh, not financial advice, just using it as an example, is tied to the dollar. So that crypto is not going to go down in value. So oh, I mean, I meant for the insurance policy, right? Like, the, yeah. like the, you can't like there's I know that there's like long term growth, but then there's also a floor to where you don't lose like the the original capital is preserved. Yeah. And this is a whole life policy. So this isn't even tied to the stock market. So the great thing about this is I took that hundred thousand out. Let's just say my account value was five hundred thousand in that life insurance policy. That's the money that I had in there. And I took a policy loan of hundred thousand. I still have five hundred thousand dollars in my account. I didn't touch that. So it's uninterrupted compound growth that you have in that policy. And I got to use the money to earn four point five percent in that stablecoin strategy that I just shared there for just oversimplification. But oh, holy I still crap! Have- okay, so you took money from your whole life, and then you put it into the stablecoin to earn even more. Yes. Oh my God. And now my money is working at two places. My money is working at that life insurance policy, earning uninterrupted compound growth, tax-free. And then you have the 4% loan on that that you're putting into the stable coin, which is now yielding you eight and a half. So now you've got two different assets. So you're taking one sum of money and then you're just putting it in two different ways to just have it grow. So it's growing in the whole life and it's growing in the stable coin. What capital, what capital chunk would you recommend people starting with this? Is this something somebody can throw 10 grand into? Is it a hundred grand? What are you looking at for somebody saving up that cash to begin something like this? Yeah, when you're where it makes sense. Yeah, ten thousand dollars a year is if you could put that into one of those policies, it'll make sense because it still have the life insurance cost. I want to share one thing with you too that before I forget. When you and I've talked before, the power of compounding, whether it be mindset, whether it be efforts, whether it be actions. And most people just talk about money with compounding. But that compounding thing is just, it's a force that when you go against it, which most people do in the amount of taxes they pay, they are on the other side of a compound interest equation, by the way, if you think about it that way. Folks that are paying like 20 to 30 to 40% in taxes every year, there's no way to get ahead and out of that game unless you change your strategy. But essentially, the power of in uninterrupted compounding, one of, my, one of the guys on my team, he loves to get into the weeds, and I love it because he always brings out really good points. Uh, he was doing an example, and this is how the wealthy families think. They don't think in five years. They don't think in 10 years or 15 years. They think multi-generational. They think three to four to five generations. That's how they think about the world. They think about planting trees, which they will never be able to sit underneath and enjoy. So when you do that as a family strategy, and now we're getting into like the Rockefeller method and strategy, which folks have maybe heard about. But if you do that over three generations, and let's just say um, the first generation start having kids at age 30, and then the second generation too, and then the third generation, it's like something to the effect of 140 years of uninterrupted compounding in that family bank. It is a, it's it, now it's like it's beast mode. Billions out and they're using the capital at the same time. And in all three generations, you were able to leverage that capital to build whatever they wanted to build at that stage within that generation. I wanted to share that because I always give the good and the bad and the ugly. What's the negative of the strategy? The negative is the, it's an insurance policy. So the first year and the first couple of years, you're buying the insurance so that you could throw the excess cash in. So you'll get to a point where there's more cash in the policy than what you've put in. But the first couple of years, yeah, it's a life insurance policy. So you're, there is the insurance portion of it. So especially, and young folks might think of this too, like why I don't have a, I don't have a spouse yet. I don't have kids yet. I started when I didn't have a wife and kid. Because the earlier you start, 
again, that concept of uninterrupted compounding. You start that in your 20s, and eventually you can add other more policies. Um, my family and I, we've added a, a ton of policies. I have them with my kids too. It's part of our family bank, and it's become a primary mechanism for financing. And that's just on the life insurance side. I do the other stuff too. I love the other asset classes too. But I'm just sharing that because of all the other different things that I'll obviously do for you. Oh, man. Okay. So there's a lot of life insurance out there. And like you said, Dave Ramsey is saying that 99% of it's being peddled the wrong way. What are some resources that people listening to this, myself included, can look up or specific terms that people can look up and what to avoid so that we don't listen to this show and then we want to go all honky-dory into throwing money around? And then even me, I've got, I've got a lot of cash. So it's just throwing it want to make sure that people are throwing it in the right place and not just Googling life insurance. And then it's not the correct setup. It's not the correct broker. What are some things to look for here? And what are some resources? Yeah. One of my companies actually produces wealth. I do help people around the country in all 50 states set this up. I started that in 2014. And we've got some content uh, that we could share. It's at yourownbankingsystem.com. Your own banking system. There's about eight to nine videos. We do. We walk through everything step by step. Show examples. Frequently asked questions and so forth. Because you make a great point. When I we talk about this kind of stuff on my show, I usually get a couple of angry emails a couple of months later, and they say, "This is yeah, this is a fraud. This is not correct. My brother-in-law works for this insurance company. I went to him and I set it up, and it doesn't do anything like." what you said it's yeah. supposed to do. And I'm like, exactly. You're going to have very few people that know exactly how to set this up properly and structure it exactly how it's structured in family offices, which the, the family office serves a family. It's like a private wealth management firm that services a family. And you got to have around about a hundred million bucks just to have one of those set up or even be part of uh, a firm that services many of those families. But essentially, we have set it up and structured it correctly with the correct carrier. And then the, the other part of it, too, is who's going to coach you through this? Who's going to coach you how to use a policy loan? What makes the most sense? How to set up a policy loan? Which uh, resource to use? How to finance it? How to pay this back? It's a strategy. It's a strategy. And that's the big thing, too. Think of don't think of, because we're marketed to a lot of products too. So when you're mm -hmm. listening to the show today, don't think of, oh, I have to buy this product. It's like, no, I have to try and figure out a way how to implement this strategy. By implementing and executing a strategy, that's where the advice comes in and of, of coaches and mentors that can help you do that. So that's why I set up a lot of folks now of Cashflow Ninja, which is my, my podcast and my educational platform that that we built. We also have producers wealth and they specialize in those policies and the setup of the policies. And then, then they'll be able to guide you and obviously coach you on your journey because that's a, it's an ongoing process. There was a book that I would also recommend for folks listening to this, Becoming Your Own Banker. It was written by my mentor, Mr. Nelson Ash. Mm -hmm. And the title, he was very intentional with his words. It's not become a banker or become the bank. It is becoming because it's a process. It's a process mm. of doing this over. It's not just a one hit wonder and you're done. It's like, no, every day you're learning, you're growing, you're figuring out new strategies, you're finding a way how to amplify what you're doing, that kind of stuff. And it kind of ties into the ninja theme that I have too, where my dad is actually a, um, he is a very well-known martial artist. So he travels the world teaching karate to about eight to 10 countries a year. He traveled before 2020. And growing up as a kid, you learn by observation. You know, your parents mm -hmm. can say one thing, but you watch them do stuff more than what they tell you. And uh, I always saw him like get up and try to pursue excellence in his craft as a karate guy. And he still does it. He's in his 70s, still, could still kick my ass, by the way. That's not even a, that's not even a joke, but, and, but he still does it. He gets up and he pursues excellence in his craft. So for me, when I think of like, you know, how I want to approach business, how I want to approach investing, that's what I, 
take with it too, is I want to pursue excellence in my craft daily, which my craft is being an entrepreneur. My craft is being this investor. And I want to get better and better. And I want to learn more things. And I want to learn from more people because as you there's always something to learn, right? You get into one room where you feel like a mouse and eventually you're like, oh, I'm I'm doing pretty well. And then you leave that room and you walk into the next room and you're like, yeah, what am I doing here? I'm in, the, <laughs> I'm in the wrong room and you feel like that mouse again. So, which is fun. And that's how life's supposed to be. Yeah, that's the game that we keep playing. And this has been a wild interview because I think this is going to be the only one where I'm looking through the transcript. And the only thing that I have to offer to the conversation is, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) hey sometimes you just gotta you just gotta listen and i hope everyone here was listening because holy crap that was some information man that was fantastic talk give another plug for the show like cashflow ninja talk about that who's the show for what's it about and then also the book yeah so cashflow ninja is just my platform cashflowninja.com I've been doing this for six years, just interviewing people about all different kinds of cash flow strategies. So we're wide. We cover business, entrepreneurship. We cover commodities, gold, silver, art, all that other stuff. We cover crypto and blockchain. We've been covering that since 2016. We cover paper assets, and we also cover real estate and all the niches. And I just have a book out because the number one question that people asked me, they said, MC, you've interviewed all these folks some of the best minds in business and investing, what are some of the best investment opportunities out there? So I wrote a book called The 21 Based Cashflow Niches. And I also make an offer to your to your listeners. If they grab the book, it's at cashflowninja.com or on, on Amazon. If you grab a copy of the book, just screenshot a proof of your purchase and send it to my team at info at cashflowninja.com. And we'll give you uh, access to the bonus goodies, which is a digital version of the book, audio version, because people like to listen. Shocker, they're listening to this podcast. <laughs> and then a curated library of interviews we did with the book so you, and assets that we featured in the book so you don't have to listen to 850 shows. Whew, man, that is an offer. All right. And then that's at, uh, what's the website again? Uh, cashflowninja.com. And it's also available on amazon.com. It's just the 21 best cashflow niches that'll pop up when you type that in. All right, perfect. And then everyone uh, screenshot that and then send that to the email that he just said. And we will have that in the show description as well. MC, man, just came on the podcast and dropped the mic. That's what he did. <laughs> man, I greatly appreciate you coming on, man. This has been fantastic. It's been one of the few, uh, the only episode where I've basically been speechless the entire time. But hey, maybe some of the people listening to this would be like, thank God, finally. <laughs> but appreciate you coming on brother this has been brian and mc with the action academy podcast signing off you've been listening to the action academy podcast helping you to choose what you want with who you want when you want you've been given the gift of freedom don't turn your back on that we hope you've enjoyed the show And we hope you've gotten some practical and useful information. Make sure to like, rate, and review the show. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on social media. Remember, financial independence is freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Freedom fly.